What London Can Be is brought to you by London Community Foundation, an organization dedicated to improving communities across London and Middlesex County. Welcome to What Lending Can Be, the podcast where we navigate our shifting world, shine a light on the issues our city is facing, and explore the innovative Made in London solutions to critical challenges in our community. I'm Diane Silva, Director of Philanthropy at Lending Community Foundation. Today I'm joined by Scott Curtis, Executive Director of the Intercommunity Health Centre. We're going to talk about the role they are playing in London's homelessness crisis and the plan for our whole community to tackle this problem together, born from the homelessness summits held over the past few months. Hi, Scott. How are you today? I'm doing great, Diane. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. It's really great to have you on our podcast today. So for our listeners who are probably unfamiliar with Intercommunity Health Centre, can you please describe the work that you do and how you feed into this ecosystem of healthcare and social services in our community? Absolutely. So uh, community health centres exist to serve folks who are most marginalized in our community. So people that don't uh, always get the best care and support in, in more traditional healthcare and social service environments. So those are people that, you know, experience barriers uh, such as racism, stigma, transphobia, other home harmful forms of social exclusion, uh, including mental health and substance use. So the populate people who are experiencing homelessness, the, a lot of uh, stigma uh, around that and a lot of difficulty accessing health and social services. So we we serve really as a family physician for uh, a large number of people experiencing homelessness in our community, and we provide primary care, which are like family physician services that that many of us receive, but then also uh, sort of one-off uh, episodic care for people that just need some support that you and I would traditionally go to maybe urgent care for. But then also do a lot around substance use, use health, and, and harm reduction uh, for the community. So we fit into the ecosystem that uh, when systems are like around housing aren't working, we're sort of that canary in the coal mine where we're starting to really see the effects in the communities that we serve. So uh, uh, really a, an important issue for us because it's difficult for us to improve people's health outcomes if there's not that stability of, of housing. So that's how we fit in the ecosystem. And obviously, you do deal with a lot of those that are experiencing homelessness. And uh, to your point about the canary and the coal mine, um, perhaps you could shed some light, because uh, I think a lot of people just uh, have a picture of what homelessness looks like, the typical face of homelessness. Could you also expand on that and tell us about some of the uh, other realities or some of the hidden stories that probably people don't even realize? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, the, the the recent summits in our community and really what most people see right now and experience homelessness is really the most marginalized, most acute situations on, on the street. So we, we, we see that and we experience that. But there's a whole iceberg of, of uh, homelessness underneath the most visible and most intense situations. Uh, it's everything from people who are precariously housed, who are, are at serious risk of losing their housing, who maybe are unstably housed or are, are you know, uh, sleeping on friends' couches and sort of going, uh, you know, on the, the grace of others uh, without a permanent home. Um, and 
what so we see all of that and unfortunately we see are seeing more and more of that right now um that includes it's a diverse population so we're we're talking about seniors uh, who have been stably housed their whole lives who their their level of income is not meeting their needs and and are really in we've seen more seniors in in dire straits with housing uh, than we've seen before. It's newcomers who have come to our communities, uh, maybe have larger larger families and wanting to continue to live in, in a communal way, but can't find appropriate housing. And it's just a lot more folks who just are having a hard time uh, making the ends meet, uh, just given our environment uh, right now. And finally, the, the, the most important thing I think to recognize is uh, in the makeup of our population of people experiencing homelessness is, uh, our indigenous communities are are vastly overrepresented in, in that population, which is just a legacy of uh, colonialism and racism, and our, our just our, our inability to really kind of work nation to nation and and help meet those needs. So it's a, not a homogeneous population. No, and I'm really glad that you shared that with us because oftentimes we just think we know what we see in front of us, but it's that hidden population for sure. Um, what do you think are some of the root causes that's driving people into these homelessness situations? Um, you know, I, people can assume, can only imagine that inflation and the cost of housing and things like that. But what other things are driving people into these situations? It really, and it, it won't seem to be rocket science to anyone, uh, the root cause of homelessness is a lack of affordable and appropriate housing for people. So if, if you look at homelessness, not just in London, but just across North America, uh, urban centers that's uh, housing affordability and supply is low or having the hardest uh, are having the, the, the greatest issues with with homelessness. And London, we've always experienced homelessness uh, in this community, but we're more and more our, our housing market is looking more and more like the GTA, but our to serve people and get people into appropriate housing is is not in the same place. So it, I always start with housing. <laughs> it is housing, 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 uh, and uh, and that's at the root of it. You know, I I agree with you. It's interesting. We met with an indigenous group earlier this morning, and the same thing that, that they said um, once anyone is stabilized in uh, you know in a in a home and ha and they have the wraparound support services, you see those people thriving. So absolutely, uh, housing is critical. Um, how do people uncover you? Like, how do they know to go to you as opposed to a different healthcare setting or social service setting? Yeah, it's we uh, a couple of ways. We have relationships with other agencies that that serve communities that are highly marginalized. So it, sometimes it, it's connecting to us just through uh, through other agencies. Uh, they word on the street. So people that need to find us know we're there just from hearing hearing from others. Uh, is another way. And then we also have quite a bit of proactive outreach. Um, uh, into into marginalized communities, um, including people who are experiencing homelessness. So we we have a mobile we have uh, mobile outreach teams that go out and and meet people where they're at and engage that way. And not just with people experiencing homelessness, but ethnocultural communities like working really hard to build trust uh, in in who we are and that will uh, that will will meet their needs in ways that are appropriate. 
So a lot of community development, a lot of outreach, and a lot of leaning on other agencies that also have trust with these communities. And now another area I want to go to is around addictions. And, um, you know, we're hearing a lot of talk about decriminalization of drugs or safer supply or regulated supply of um, of drugs is just to kind of um, apply some of these harm reduction strategies. Can you tell us how this could help address some of these issues that we're seeing currently in our community? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's important to recognize right now that at the root of this is we've got a very toxic supply of street drugs in our community right now. And I just, I hope regardless of what you think about harm reduction or addiction medicine, we can all agree that that's a really bad thing. We don't want to be losing people uh, to the toxic supply in our community. Uh, Dead people don't recover. They don't have the opportunity to recover. So really the safer supply, um, harm reduction, uh, these are not ends in themselves. They're really to keep people's hearts beating and to try to keep people on the path to uh, finding better opportunities for for change. So it it really is an opportunity to help work with people until they're in a place where they're able to develop healthier relationships with, uh, with substances. Uh, And decriminalization also, um, I think it's important to recognize that it's not a panacea. It won't solve uh, the the overdose crisis. Um, What it will do is stop criminalizing what it was a health issue. So not uh, exposing people to the harms that are uh, they receive when they're in the criminal justice system. Uh, It won't improve the toxic drug supply, but it it is a way for us to to ideally channel people into healthcare supports as opposed to criminalizing um, right. addiction. Right. Yeah. No. That's uh, it's interesting, and um, I know that there is work being done in that space, and I I do agree that it's um, we can't just ignore it. We have to work together on that and uh, and provide these um, innovative s- strategies in addressing addictions. And it is important, again, to bring it back to housing. We we found that um, if we are able to move people into a stable housing situation, that uh, their relationships with substances improve almost overnight. Uh, there is like this sort of uh, belief that, uh, you know, addiction and mental health leads to homelessness. We look at it a little bit differently that when people uh, lose their housing situation, if they perhaps uh, had had relationships with, if they've been using substances in the past, their their youth changes uh, not in a good way when they're they're um, they're living on the streets. So, getting people into housing is the first step to being able to really create the conditions for stability that are so necessary to building healthy relationships with with substances. Mm-hmm. So you keep talking about housing, and I love this. Um, So a few weeks ago, we had Chuck Lazenby from the Unity Project to talk about the health and homelessness summits that were happening in the city. So fast forward to this point in time, um, I would love to hear your perspective on how you felt those summits were going and, and what do you hope to see as an outcome from the summit process? Yeah, the summits, they, um, 
I found them to be energizing because they really made it clear about what's possible if we all can work together. And we've been working together as a community for a lot of years, but what I'd say is that we tend to work and collaborate together with our sort of usual suspects, the people we're most comfortable working with that think the way that we think, and it's just easy. What I loved about the Health and Homelessness Summits is that it forced us into uh, really seeing what we would see as unusual suspects becoming unusual allies and being pushed by people that, you know, think differently than we do, approach things differently than we do, and really creating opportunity to collaborate differently. I think that's really where you get to that innovation space is when you're working with people that you've never, you've never done uh, work with before. So it just created these new pathways, these new relationships. And we've got that summit process, the official summit process and all of the work we're going to be doing around that, but just some of the spinoff collaborations based on the relationships that were formed uh, created a, a whole new sense of purpose and a new, a whole new energy. Um, and it really does feel like we're coming together as a whole of community, as opposed to pockets of community trying to do good work and never quite getting there. When you say unusual allies, can you expand what do, what does that mean to you? Because I know as a sector, you're right. You 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 did work and do work very well together. But what made this different in terms of the p- types of groups that were in the room? Yeah, I mean, it, within healthcare, it was like bringing together uh, uh, hospital hospitals with community based organizations, bringing. Uh, organizations that ours that work in a harm reduction, very harm reduction framework with uh, organizations that uh, are more working in sort of the addiction medicine space and just getting together and exploring why we believe what we believe and and how to do things differently. And then other unusual suspects like uh, business improvement areas, uh, developers, business people, community organizations, the folks that don't speak our lingo, you know, like our industry lingo that can really kind of push back and say, like, when you say that, what do you, I don't understand what you're meaning and, and really helping us check some of our, uh, our, our assumptions. So it really, um, yeah, for that, it, it was really valuable to, it really truly was like almost everybody that I always kind of almost think about it as this community barn raising, like bringing everybody together um to to create something different and new that you never would have if you just sort of stick stuck with what was safe and and who you knew that's awesome now at well, i've attended two of those sessions and it, you described it beautifully it is so true uh just to see that collaboration and and unusual suspects working together in the same room and learning a different language on both sides of the table. I thought that was fabulous. And sharing of resources and wanting to leverage and partner and all of that. I thought that was really incredible. Are there elements of the plan that you could share right now? Like, is there there stuff that's ready for people to kind of understand how things might shake out for our community? Are you aware of any of that stuff? Yeah, happy. So really the the plan... uh, what I love about it is it really is rooted in two things. It's rooted in what the people, what people need, people centered, and then uh, also really rooted in understanding that we need to build more housing in in a whole bunch of different forms. So there's intention to uh, build out a continuum of housing. So that's everything from people that need emergency shelter to temporary transitional spaces to just permanent housing uh, that they can live in, building that 
and building that fast in our community as quickly as we can. And then the second component is creating a network of service hubs where organizations, those unusual suspects get together and become <laughs> usual allies within the same space. Um, so people who are needing to receive care don't need to come to inner community and then walk a quarter of a mile to get another service from another agency and then walk somewhere else. They're able to get everything they need in one place. And we're able to wrap around people in a, in a more dignified and effective way. So it, it really is, it's like creating a team wrapped around people and creating a whole bunch of different forms of housing to get people out front who are currently outside living in encampments, stairwells, places that aren't dignified and aren't aren't safe, getting people as many people inside as quickly as uh, as possible. Um, and it's quite aggressive, the plan, like we're, we're looking at building out five of these service hubs uh, across the community, attaching uh, transitional housing spaces to those hubs, and then working with government and our development community to start building out those more permanent housing uh, solutions. So getting getting rolling on that uh, as quickly as we as we possibly can. And so um what can people do to support intercommunity health care center or other organizations that are helping to mobilize this plan? Like so you know this is your moment to uh, to give some guidance there. You know, I'm going to encourage people I think for too long we've people you want to have the greatest impact you can particularly if if you're looking to do some philanthropic giving so that can be everything from five dollars to a million dollars and really not to to uh put it back on the community foundation but i really think if you want to have the impact on this particular plan give to the the fund for change uh which was established by this amazing anonymous donor who's challenging our community to match the donations that they they've given that uh that resource is going to be used to support elements of this whole of community response and we've really committed as agencies to not do these one-off asks of, of people but really to let's pool our resources let's ask people to give collectively and let's put those resources where they're going to have the greatest impact so i will accept any donations that people want their community, but I'd really encourage people to give to this whole of uh, of system response. That's uh, how we come together as a community. Absolutely. And are other are there other ways that uh, people, even listeners uh, who are hearing probably from an organization like you, Intercommunity Health Center, how do they get involved, or can they, um, or how can they help support the work that you do? Yeah, so there are uh, most of agencies that are working with people experiencing homelessness have opportunities to to volunteer. So I, I think you've got great organizations like Unity Project, My Sister's Place, um, uh, Safe Space, lots of organizations that just need people power to help sort clothing, distribute, uh, you know, distribute uh, kits out to people who need who need support. So definitely, if, if that's your, your jam, lots of volunteer opportunities. But also, to be frank, I think it's the real solution here uh, is going to be systemic policy change, courageous investment from government. So just being aware of the issue and when if you've got, you know, it come election time when you got people knocking on your door, 
talking about homelessness and, and how much it matters to you going to, you know, when your city councillor has a, has a, a town hall, go there and talk about this issue. Keep this to the top of front of mind that, you know, making it known that you believe that housing is a human right and that, we're not we're not meeting that that fundamental right in our our community. Um, don't underestimate the power of your voice and, and the and the need to keep this front and center. Yeah, I'm glad you said that uh, because it is so true. I actually feel a, a change in the uh, in the atmosphere really because uh, since the um, the summit and this whole anonymous donor stepping in to really challenge our community to drive change. Um, I feel like it's it's really uh, brought a lot of people forward because they feel a sense of hope that maybe this time we can get something right. And and exactly to your point, uh, it just doesn't stop there. It's also with the advocacy and uh, talking to your local politicians and seeing what they stand for and how they are going to be part of this solution, but for the long term, right? So that it's not just short-term solutions. So uh, wonderfully said there. Um, My last question to you is, what do you think Lenin can be and how do you think we can get there together? (laughs) That's a big question. That's a big one. <laughs> also, sometimes feels like you know it's one of those ones that that politicians are probably better able to answer. I'll I'll do my very best. You know what? I think London need if London is a community where everybody feels that they're connected, uh, that they're valued, and that they can actually make a contribution to making London the kind of place they want it to be. That's the kind of city that 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 I want to live in. Right? It, it's not a city where you know. Uh, a few people that hold power and privilege are able to kind of chart the course of the community. It's one where where everybody really truly feels like they are have are empowered to to make some change. And even in health, when you look at drivers of health, that one of the key social determinants of health is, is a feeling of connectedness to community and a sense that you belong and that you make you can make a difference. So if we're a community that can do that, um, you know, we're all, everything else will take care of itself after that. That's true. Very well said. Thank you so much, Scott. This was so good. Um, yeah, we're excited to see how things shake out with the summit plan process and well, with the recommendations now moving forward. And we're we're pretty proud too to be the home of the fund, and uh, we're also pretty proud to have your organization in our community and serving uh, the most vulnerable and from newcomers to seniors. Thank you for everything that you do. Thank so, you. All right, all the best. Thanks very much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of What Lenin Can Be. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about today's guest, visit us at lcf.on.ca forward slash what Lenin can be. If you like this podcast, tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find links on our website. Thank you again for listening to us.